So I want to start, as I was coming to, to church this morning, because my sermon is on the Word of God. The, the, uh, we're going to talk about the authority, uh, the sufficiency, and the clarity of God's Word today. And, and that, you know, that's what we're going to talk about. But as I was on my way home from church, um, uh, to church this morning, I thought about my life as a Christian. And I got saved in 1978, and, and I began to study the Word of God. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of things I did, I've done in my life to that external things that have shaped my thoughts and my behavior. I spent 37 years in the Army, and the United States Army shaped my thoughts and my behavior, mostly my behavior, because sometimes that wasn't quite right. But, but as I look back over my life, and I'm 60 years old, I, I, can, I can testify uh, w- without reservation that the Word of God has been a major part, has been the part, the part that has shaped me and molded me into God's image. Now, I'm like the old, old, you know, clump of coal. There's a lot of work to be done, but the Word of God is is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it and it does a work in our life. And and if we as a church ever, ever abandon the Word of God, we should just close our doors because the Word of God is why we're here. It is the reason that we come here every Sunday is to worship God and to share His Word. So, so if you go on our website, as a matter of fact, if you go on RedeemerVA.org under the Beliefs tab, you will see what we believe and what we practice about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And also in that, there's the Baptist faith and message, which basically is a statement of faith that we adhere to, and that kind of guides us. But one thing is clear in, at Redeemer Bible Church, that Pastor Vic is not the head of the church, okay? He is not the head. He is an elder and neither are any other elders or any other members. Jesus Christ is the head of our church. And the word of God is what we use for our authority in all matters of church and Christian practice as revealed by his word. So if we make a decision or if we have to have a conversation with someone that's based on biblical principle, not opinion or um, uh, you know some other external uh, philosophical ideas it's based on the word of God and that's what we're going to talk about tonight or today so uh, if we look across our nation today we see a, a troubling trend in our nation among evangelicals and I, I, I say evangelicals because you can actually claim to be an evangelical and not know the Lord okay that, that is possible but among evangelicals today and among institutions that we thought were solid behind the word, there's this troubling trend. Um, and that is that, this, uh, that the, there's a drought of biblical teaching and preaching. There is a belief that we need to add to the Bible in order for it to be, to be relevant to meet our spiritual needs in today's culture. It's kind of like that, it's, it's the Bible plus type approach. We not only need the Bible, we need to add to that. We need an, a different experience, or we need to add a new 
approach to theology. The Bible is not sufficient, right? And that is what's going on in a lot of uh, organizations today. It's really the apostasy, and apostasy means the abandonment of the Word of God. And that's what's going on in, in many evangelical circles today. So what is the current state? I wrote down some ideas as I was preparing for the sermon, and these are some of the things I thought about. The church, many uh, evangelical organizations and churches today have traded sermons for a self-affirming platitudes that seek to make people feel good about themselves. Their chief aim is to create an environment devoid of words such as repentance, judgment, and righteous living. Some churches have become entertainment centers where worship is designed for the audience, and it's not God, it's those people sitting in the pews. And some parachurch organizations that once were evangelical have embraced ecumenical fellowship with false religions and teachers. And so what I mean by that is there's this concept or this idea that, that everybody worships the same God, so therefore if somebody who worships Muhammad is good and they, they believe that there is a way to heaven, that we should fellowship with them. And the Bible is strictly, uh, speaks strictly against that because what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? It has none. Because anytime you come into a dark room and you flip on the light, guess what happens to the darkness? It goes away. And so, um, and so we, have, uh, we have a problem here. And, and that's what I want to address today. I found this quote from the late J.I. Packard, and he wrote in his book, Fundamentalism and the Word of God, and he said this. He said, certainly about the great issues of, Christ of the Christian faith and conduct is lacking all along the line. The outside observer sees us as staggering on from a gimmick to gimmick and stunt to stunt like so many drunks in a fog, not knowing at all where we are or which way we are should be going. Preaching is hazy, heads are muddled, and hearts fret. Doubts drain strength, and uncertainty paralyzes action. Unlike the first century Christians, who in three centuries won the Roman world to the Lord, and those later Christians who pioneered the Reformation and the Puritan awakening and an evangelical revival in the great missionary movement of the last century, we lack certainty. And we have examples of that today. We have a book that was released several years ago by Joel Osteen called Your Best Life Now, Seven Steps to Living at Your, fall, at your Full Potential. And it's about self-esteem and self-actualization, becoming a better person. I will say to you, friend, outside the scriptures and outside the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit, we will not become better people. We will, not, we will become confused people. People without direction, people without purpose, people without destination. And then there's another, there's another movement going on. It's been going on for a while. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. And, I, and I'll, I'll just sum this up real quick and to say, before we get into our scripture, that, that this movement is all about the restoration of the apostolic office, right? Like Peter. Peter was an apostle. So, so it's a movement that brings back the 
the apostles and all the authority with signs and wonders that go along with that, which again is, is unbiblical, it's unscriptural. God has given us his word as we will see today and he has communicated that word to us in, all, in totality. There's nothing we need to add to it or take away from it. As a matter of fact, in Revelations, we are warned that we are not to do that. But, but there are all kinds of st stuff going on in our culture today. And we as Christians <clears throat> should be committed to God's word, to proclaiming God's word, and to an exegetical approach to God's word. And what I mean by that is when we go to the Word of God, we don't superimpose our presuppositions on God's Word. We don't put our thoughts into God's Word, but we derive our thoughts from God's Word. We take God's Word and we, we do exegesis. We go and we look at the original language as the context of the Scripture. We do all these things to be able to pull out from the Word of God the things that God has to say. So that's what we need to be doing. So today I want to talk about one of the solas of the Protestant Reformation. It is called sola scriptura. And this is a Latin term that means scripture alone. And there are five solas of the Protestant Reformation. And when we went to Rwanda year before, uh, last year uh, in 2021, this is what we taught. We taught for a whole week on the five solas. Uh, and Vic had a sum, I had some, and then Clay had some. So we all divided it up and... And, and taught on that. Uh, the five solas state this, that Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And that's what we are. That's who we are. If you have one statement that would sum up who we are as Christians, that absolutely should be it. And by the way, this was a movement that, was, that uh, liberated our world from the dark ages when the Bible was, not, was only read by, by uh, Catholic priests in monasteries and it was all in Latin and then it was translated to German and then, and then the word of God began to go out to the common people and there was a tremendous change and we've never been the same since because the word of God went forth. So, but... In order to start this, I want to read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 11, if you would stand with me and, and let's read there, because I thought about, when I was preparing for the sermon, I said, well, what, what one scripture could I, I mean, and by the way, the Bible is full of scriptures I could have used. I could have probably just used any scripture in the Bible, but what really illustrates the, the authority, the sufficiency, and the clarity of the word of God? What what one story in the Bible illustrates that. And I think this is a great story that kind of illustrates that as far as Jesus' temptation uh, in the wilderness here. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 1 here. And he says this, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness <clears throat> to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and had said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
and then the second temptation, verse 5. And then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Satan is actually quoting Psalms 91, 11 through 12 there. And then the third temptation. He said, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Please be seated. So we have here a story. We have here a depiction of, of a true depiction of Christ's encounter with temptation. And we know that he never gave into temptation because the Bible says that he was tempted in all manners as we are, but without temptation. And, uh, and Jesus was faced with the lust of the flesh, the temptation there in verses 2 through 4, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And his response was a biblical response. I tell people all the time, you know, Jesus never answered something unless he had a biblical response to his answer. That's where I want to be, right? And Because sometimes I don't. But I want a biblical response. And he did. He gave a biblical response. You know, he talks about the uh, man not living by the bread alone, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out. So, and then he talks about not putting the Lord to the test. And, and there he's making reference to the, the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and they wanted water and they were complaining and, and you know, th they didn't have faith that God would, would give them what they needed. And so, so they were testing God. And then he ends by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And, and that's what we're doing today. We're worshiping the Lord our God and him only. We're not here to worship anybody else or nothing else, but we're worshiping the Lord today. And so we see Christ's response about, uh, about Scripture and how he used Scripture of the Old Testament to defend. And we're also in Ephesians 6, if you recall, we're reminded that you know, the, the armor of God, right? We've got the armor of God and, and, and the sword of the Spirit is both an offensive and defensive weapon. It's the only weapon that has dual roles. It's an offensive and defensive weapon. The Word of God is used to defend error and defend against apostasy and defend against uh, bad teaching, but it's also used to penetrate the heart. See, the Word of God is a sword. It's used to penetrate and to cut and to open up, to display. And so, so Jesus used that. So we, so we go to the, the authority of Scripture. Let's get to our, one of our main points here, the authority. So what does authority mean? If someone asked you, you, you know, had your Bible out and said, well, why should I read that book? What is special about that book? Right. And, and I hope you could answer that. I hope you could answer at least from a kind of a high level that, hey, let me tell you what the word of God has done in my life. And you share with them maybe some experience, some experiences you've had with how God has 
use the word to, to change your mind. But there is a definition for the authority of Scripture. And it's, uh, it's the, the one I got, it came from Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology and Introduction to Bible Doctrine. I highly recommend that if you, if you want to study the word. It's a great reference book to have. But he said this, he said, all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. And so, so that's the definition of biblical authority. But how do we know the word of God is authoritative? Well, I think there are, there are a couple of several reasons why. First off is because the, tis, the testimony of Scripture itself. In Exodus 20, uh, verses 1 through 17, for those of you who don't know, that is the Ten Commandments chapter, right? And God begins the Ten Commandments. Right before he gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, uh, he begins by this. He says, and then in verse 1 there of chapter 20 in Exodus, he said, then God spoke all these words, saying. And then in verse 2, he starts out by saying, you shall have no other gods before you. So God begins, he starts out and, he's, and he preaches the word. And from Genesis 1 all the way to the last chapter of, Revela of Revelation, we have the word of God. In the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, it says this. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever made an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke the word of God or spoke from God. And so, so we have another scripture there that talks about how God used humans to speak his word. When, when the apostle Paul was writing, he was speaking the word of God. And we have, to, we have to believe in that, and our faith has to be, because it was the word of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter attributes Paul's writing as scripture. Okay, he says this, As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, so that they do also the rest of scripture to their own destruction. So Peter is talking about Paul's writings and how they are scripture. And then the word of God is authoritative because it is God-breathed. And, and I love, this is probably one of my favorite scriptures, uh, verses in all the scripture. But he says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Why does God reprove us? Why does God correct us? Why does God expect us to learn? Because we have to be, because the word of God makes us adequate and equipped for the good work that God has called us to do. And there's no one in here that can say, God has never called me to good work. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because God has called us to every good work. He has got something for us to do. No matter our age, no matter our economic status, God has called us. So we have authority because the word of God is God-breathed. And we also have, uh, the word of God is also authoritative because 
of the authority that Christ talked about in the Great Commission. In, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, All power and authority is given to me. And so when, when Jesus said that, and we became a Christian, and the Holy Spirit came and lived within us, then we have the authority to speak the Word of God. We have this authority to witness the Word of God. Now, when I say witness the Word of God, I don't mean try to convince somebody that, that they need to be saved because I can't convince anyone that they need to be saved. The only thing that can convince people of their need for God is God. And the only, the only thing that can convince people of their need for salvation is the Word of God. And we must preach the word of God because all power and authority has been given to Christ. And when you speak the word of Christ, then you're speaking the word of God and lives are changed. And minds are, uh, are illuminated to their condition as human beings. So we, so we see here the, the power of the word of God. And then we also have authority because of God's favor and his good pleasure. Uh, in Ephesians 1.9, he says this. He says, May, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed, which he purposed in him. So what does it mean to be, to make, be, to know, excuse me, to know the mystery of his will? The mystery here is a word that means it is something that cannot be figured out by human thought. It is something that can only be uh, realized through revelation, right? I mean, when Paul talked about the mystery, and he talks about this a lot in, in Acts, and he's talking about, you know, uh, being the first missionary to the Gentiles, right? So this is a new thing back in the New Testament. Uh, up to this point, all that was kind of focused on the Jews, but God pa called Paul, and he made him a missionary to the Gentiles. So there was this mystery. How can the Jews and the Gentiles be in the same church? Because the Bible says there's no difference between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles, right? And the Greeks, there's no difference. And so, so the mystery that he's talking about is the mystery. And the mystery, the fact that I am, I am lost in need of a Savior. Right? That's a mystery. We can't understand that. We can't comprehend that. But what happens is we read the Word of God, and the Word of God enlightens our minds, and, and our hearts are convicted, and, and God calls us, and, and, and we repent of our sins, and we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and then we're regenerated, and then we're justified, and then we're sanctified, and then one day we're going to be glorified. How does all that happen? Because we're so smart? Or because we're, we, we reach a level of goodness and you know, once we reach a certain plateau, we're going we're gonna to know everything, right? We're, we're, we've reached it. We're good. We're giving, you know, we're, we're, we're helping old ladies across the street, and we're doing all these good things, right? That's not the way it works. It is a, absolutely a work of God, you know? I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't want to take credit for my salvation because I'd mess it up. I mean, I would. If I, if I had anything to do with it, I would just mess it up because, because, because of my flesh, because sometimes my heart wanders, wanders, you know. And so, uh, so we have, the, we have the authority, and we know that it is through God's kind intention and, and 
that word uh, kind intention is really God's favor. See, those of us who name the name of Christ and have been regenerated have experienced God's favor. And we continue to experience God's favor. Okay? So we have the authority of Scripture. The second thing I want to talk about is the sufficiency of Scripture. So turn your Bibles to uh, Psalms chapter 19. And uh, if you've ever heard sermons about the sufficiency of Scripture, you have probably read this Scripture because... As far as I'm concerned, if you, if you want to look at the sufficient scripture, this is, this is one you should study in great detail because it's just a phenomenal uh, scripture where God really lays it out for us. And so uh, in the next few minutes, I want to just kind of walk through this. But before I do, let me, let me just build some context here because that's important as we study God's word is context. And uh, the first, uh, I would say, the first six verses of this chapter talk about God's natural revelation. Now, what is God's natural revelation? That is God's creation, right? And if you read that in verse 1, it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor, there, nor are there words their voice, where their voice is not heard. And so, so we see here the natural revelation of God. Now, this is, not, this, is, this is part of the common grace of God, right? I mean, the natural revelation of God, he has created this world. He, you know, you look at uh, biological sciences, and you look at the telescope, and you see all the the different organisms, and you look deep into the, the substructure of that organism, uh, you know, beyond the visual range of, of our eyes through a telescope, and you see the intricacies of that. You see the work of God. God's work, is, uh, his creation testifies of who he is. Now, that doesn't save people. People can't be saved by that, but it is God's uh, word to human beings. And then we have in the verses 7 through 10, and these are the verses we're going to really dive into, um, is the, he talks about the word of God. And he, uh, he, he gives a, what it is and a description of what it does in this passage of scripture. And the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contains all the words of God intended for his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly and obeying him perfectly. And so why is the word of God, why is it sufficient? Well, look in verse 7. He says there that the the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. When we look at this, we see that God's law is perfect. So what does it accomplish? He says it there. He says it restores the soul. And I love that word perfect because 
in the Hebrew, that basically means that the, the law of God, and when we're talking about the law of God, to us today, that is the Bible, okay? That is the Bible that we have in our, in our possession today. That's the law of God. Back in those days, though, the law of God was those books that were written up to that time, certainly the first five books of the Old Testament, right? But, but we have the law, and it is perfect. And what does that word perfect mean? It means that the law of God is whole. Okay, there's no half glass, uh, you know, the glass is half full here or half empty. It is perfect. It is full. It is all that we need for things of righteousness and holiness to live, to live the word of God and to, and to understand the word of God. And we're going to talk about clarity in a few minutes here. But, but it is complete. It is sufficient. There's nothing more that you need. I mean, I know we got a lot of books. We got books on our shelf back there, great books of people who wrote books. And, and I quoted a scripture, I mean, uh, not a scripture, but a, a uh, quote from J.I. Packer. And, uh, and that's all good. But there is no substitution, folks. You know, I mean, whatever you spend your time doing, there is no substitution for reading the Word of God. I, I, you know, I mean, I mean, we are we are inundated with information, right, on the internet, and and we can, but but there's no substitution for taking time to read the whole, complete, sufficient Word of God, and to spend that time in in seeking God's face and seeking to understand His Word, and He goes on there in verse seven, in the latter part of verse seven. He talks about the testimony of the Lord making us wise, and that means unwavering, immovable, unmistakable, and reliable. And that's what the Word of God is. It is worthy of trust. And then he, in verse 8 there, he says, The precepts of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so when we... When we I'm sorry, did I miss something here? Okay, <laughs> all right, so the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is, is pure, enlightening the eyes, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So when it talks about the precepts here, it's talking about, obviously, God's word, and it reminded me of Psalms 119, 1 through 5. It says, the lamp keeps us from stumbling. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the lamp keeps us from stumbling and the light guides our path. And then he says, like I said in verse 8, the command of the Lord is pure. And, and that word means it is lucid. It is clear. It indis, indicates that the scripture is not mystifying or confusing or puzzling. You see, God wants us to understand his word. See, many think that, that I can't read commentaries because I'm not smart enough or, you know, the Bible is too hard to understand. You don't understand. God, God has created the Word so we could understand it. You know, God didn't create the Word for Him. He understood it, right? He wrote it. He created the Word for us. We're the ones that need to understand it. And so, so God's Word is lucid. And then in verse 9, it says there that the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever. So there's two words here I want to talk about real quick. The fear of the Lord. It's just that it's 
it's the, the fear of the Lord is the reverential awe of God that compels believers to obey him and to worship him. And this, it's this awe that we have of God. And then the, uh, the, the Hebrew, word, Hebrew word clear, clean, excuse me, speaks of the absence of impurity, filthiness, defilement. So the, so the, God, the word of God is without corruption, is without blemish, is, is flawless. And then he goes on to say that the judgments of the Lord are true, that are righteous altogether. So we can trust that, that God's words are righteous, and they're meant for his righteous good. And then he ends it up with verse 10 there where he says, there are more, They are more desirable than gold, yes, than pure gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. So why is the word of God so much more desirable than anything? It's because of Hebrews 4.12. And I made mention of this earlier. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the divisions of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And the sword of the spirit, as we talked about earlier there in Ephesians 6, 17, it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4 Paul charged Timothy. He said, preach the word, be in, ready in season, out of season, re, re, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Folks, we are living in an age where people's ears are being tickled. And they have abandoned the word of God in many, many churches. So we go now to the clarity of scripture. And then I got to finish this in about three minutes here. So the clarity of scripture, let's talk about that. See, if we're going to understand the clarity of scripture or the doctrine of perspicuity of scripture, which is the clarity of scripture, and... Uh, that And we believe that the central message of the Bible is clear and understandable and that the Bible itself can be properly interpreted in, normal or in a normal or literal sense and has been the cornerstone of the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, since it began. So we understand that we can, we can know the Word of God because it is a work of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it is a work of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, and 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said unto you. And in, in this chapter, Jesus is speaking of the Helper, and the Holy Spirit is a Helper. In John 16, 13, it says this. He says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but, will, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. That sounds like a promise to me. I mean, he didn't say he might expose to you if you have the right education, right? There was no condition. He said he will expose to you. <clears throat> and so... 
So God is not a God of confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, he says, God is not a confusion, but is of peace, and is as in all the churches of the saints. And, and you have to read that story. I was going to go into that, but I'm right out of time here. But, but God is not a God of confusion. He wants you to know. But what does it take from us? What do we do? We are to submit ourselves in a time of quietness, in a time of contemplation, in a time of seeking the word of God. Not thinking about football or anything else, but just turning the world off, putting up the phone, and sitting down and say, Here am I, Lord. Speak to me through your word. That's what we need, because God is not a God of confusion. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So we understand now that the, the word of God is authoritative, the word of God is sufficient, and the word of God is clear. What will we do with the word of God? I want to conclude my sermon today by, by this in James 1.25. It's a very, it's a challenge. It says this, it says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently into the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does, or blessed in all his ways. So that's the question, folks. Who are we? Are we the one, are we one, are we someone who abides in the word of God? Is that a part of our life? Is that how we get our direction, our thoughts? Or are we that, that hearer, but we're a forgetful hearer? We hear the word of God, but then we walk out the door and we don't ever pick it up until maybe we hear again on Sunday. You know, we have to be serious. Why do you think all these crazy things are happening in our, in our, in our, in our, uh, churches today is because they have abandoned the word of God. And whenever you abandon the word of God, everything else becomes an option. Okay, whatever the, the fad is, that becomes an option when you abandon the word of God. So I want to encourage you to seek God and to, uh, to read the word of God this week, and, and I pray God will bless you. Okay, so... Uh, are you guys coming up now? I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to pray. Is this how that works? Huh? After the prayer. Okay. See, she told me that before. Okay. So sorry about that. <laughs> they even recorded that. That's terrible. I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> but anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, God, that you are you're so awesome, Lord, that you've given us the word. Uh, God, to, to help shape our lives and mold us. And Lord, not only you've given us the word, but you've given us the power through the person of the Holy Spirit to apply your word, Lord. And we're just so grateful for that. And I pray that as, uh, as we think about your word today, God, that if there's anyone here, Father, that, that does not know you, that today will be the day, Lord, that they will uh, confess their sins and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Father, and, and, and live the life, Lord, that you would have them to live. 
And we just pray, God, that at this time that the Holy Spirit would do a work in all of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.